Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 we'll be looking at this morning. Philippians 2, and we're going to focus our attention on verses 3 and 4. Before we do that, let's seek the Lord's blessing. Father, we praise you for your word, and we look to you for grace, for help in every way, for you to minister to us through me, your servant, to your people, that we would have the mind of Christ, that we would be formed into the body of Christ, that we would demonstrate and manifest love, the love we've received from you, that we would love one another truly and we'd understand what that means. Father, please grant grace and mercy and blessing this morning, for we ask it in Christ. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3, reads, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I've got a couple things here I want to show you. They're, um, and I know at first you might probably wondering, what does this have to do with what we just read? I hope you're wondering. Oh, yeah. And here's a, a rose, and you're wondering, what does this have to do with what we just read? Well, hold on for a second, because you're going to see. You're going to see what this is all about. Now, what do you call this? Any kids know what you call this? What is it? Hammer. hammer. It's hammer time. <laughs> now, what are the qualities of a Hammer. What are the qualities of hammer? They're, hammers are strong, right? They, at least they ought to be. Hammers are rigid. Hammers can be fairly heavy. Hammers are made for wrecking, but also for building. Hammers can, can uh, you, you, you pound it in, you make a mistake, you turn it around, and this part helps you pull it out. This also helps you pry lots of things. If this pulpit were needing some work, I might be able to tap it around, but it's not a finesse tool, is it? This is a heavy hitter. This is a hammer, and it's got all kinds of wonderful qualities. And if you're, you know, it, it, whether you're a homeowner or you're a carpenter, these come in handy. Hammers are good things, right? We all like hammers. Now, what would you call this? A rose. Now, rose equally have some pretty special qualities, don't they? A rose, if you'll notice, is pretty. Roses are beautiful. Well, that one does, it smells amazing. They smell amazing. They're elegant. They're dainty. They're really not good for hammering, though. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not too handy for anything broken in your house. In terms of that, in your house, you know, you might think, well, this is really handy in the house. This, not so much. But hey, wait a second, this is very useful in the house because this can make your house look beautiful. This can make your house smell beautiful. This can make your house delightful. And if you're into that, you better not have this around. We don't put this in a vase, do we? No. Because they have completely different uses. Now, 
If you look at these two things, and they're extremely opposite, we might be thinking quickly, oh, this really does reflect, doesn't it? Husband, wife, male, female, right? The man's the hammer, the woman's the, the rose, he's beautiful, smells nice, and man, he's rigid, hard, stinky, and useful, useful for building things. And so, but that, that's really not the, the application I want to make this morning. Because I think we could obviously look at that, but there's, an, there's something that I want us to understand. And it has to do with how we view each other. Because all, it's very easy for the hammer to view the rose with disdain. You know why? Because if, if you have hammer qualities, and you like hammer qualities, what does that make you think of a rose? Wimpy, prissy, dainty, you know, okay, not, it's pretty much useless. But if you have rose qualities, what does that make you think of the hammer? Ugly, dirty, rusty perhaps, stinky, non-elegant, non-beautiful, just total, complete utilitarian. And, I, and often, because of what we've been given and because of who we are, we look upon the other with disdain because they're so different. And you know, the only thing, if this were male and female, the only thing that we have going for it is that God has created it that hammers are very attracted to roses. And roses are very attracted to hammers. So they like each other. But if you took that attraction away, guess who'd be hanging out with each other? All the hammers would be getting together and hanging out, and they'd really be laughing and joking, disdaining the roses, right? All the roses would be getting together and poo-pooing the hammers. They had no use for one another. They They couldn't believe how opposite they are and how ugly those other aspects are. It takes a completely different mindset and mentality for us to look at the other and appreciate and love it. And it is very easy for us in our strengths to look upon those with weakness, with disdain. But we're exhorted by God in this passage. What does this passage tell us? It basically says that we're to think of others as better than ourselves. Right? That's what it pretty much summarizes the saying. Do nothing from selfish ambition, about that has to do with yourself, or conceit, vanity, but in humility... Count others as more significant than yourself. Romans 12 says a very similar thing. It puts it this way. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Live in harmony. Live at peace with one another. Don't be haughty. Don't be arrogant. Don't think that you're, you've got all this and, and you're just wonderful stuff. And all those other lowly people. He says, associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. You know, the truths of these passages have ramifications that are many of the key areas, into many of the key areas of our lives. Especially if you have been here this morning and you're put in a position of authority. Do you realize those in authority often have a very difficult time as looking at those who are under their authority with esteem, in humility? 
Because when we're in authority, it's easy to think of ourselves as what? The boss, the big cheese, the one in charge, the Lord. And anytime we have positions of, of authority, we're putting, and we feel like in our minds, there's a sense in which we're on top and you're down below, underneath. So authority can often distort our view of others. It's very easy. It happens all the time. And it may be true that we are given authority and that we do have people under our care, but that never allows us to look upon them with disdain or as they're somehow less than us or to treat them with less respect. 1 Peter 5, 2, 3, 3 says about shepherds and pastors of God's flock. This is what he says to them. Shepherds, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. As you can see, authority never gives us the right to think of the people under us as less than us, that somehow we can dominate them. And this, this is in complete harmony with Philippians chapter 2. Even if you do have authority, you still have to esteem others. You can esteem them as better than yourself, even though that you're, you're over them. You can respect them. You can honor them. Because when we esteem them and respect them, we treat them as they deserve to be treated as God's children. And we're executing our office properly. But you know what? We will never execute the office of authority of any kind, whether you're a parent, where you're the government official, where you're the boss at work, whatever it is. We'll never execute it properly if we do not view the people we're over properly. Now, the question is, how do we view them? Are there our little minions, our subjects, the one, our little go-getters, the one who do our bidding? Is that how we view them? If we view them that way, we'll treat them that way. Do we, do we view them as our equals? Do we view them as better than ourselves? In humility, see them as better than us, yet we're, at, we're called to exercise authority. Every single one of us here, I'll guarantee you, we hate it when somebody's given authority, and then they use that authority improperly and use it in an arrogant way. We can all probably think of the mall security guy with his baton. He walks around, chest puffed out, just looking for some little peon to strike. And, and, and as you see the guy, and he's, watched, he's walking in arrogance, he's looking around, he thinks he's got the, you know, the, the biggest job in the world, he's, he's all this and all that. And no matter who you are, you kind of hope that he would trip and fall into the penny fountain. <laughs> it, it just kind of would feel nice. Because we do not respect that. We do not delight in that. They have an authority, and you could tell this guy, he, the authority he's been given has gone straight to his head, and now he... Not only does he look like a moron, he's acting like a moron, and he's totally misplaced his authority. That's not what we're called to do. Or just think of us as parents. How, how easy it is to speak down to our children. You know, in some cultures, even to treat children with disdain. And why is that? Because they think of them as foolish and dumb. 
because in often cases they act foolish and, and dumb. Now, just because they might be foolish, just because they might be silly, just because they might be ignorant even of the most basic things, it never allows us or gives us a reason to disrespect them. It never allows someone in authority to look down upon them, disdain them because of their lack of whatever, and, and from that position, from that perspective, treat them in, in a way that, that is disrespectful or dishonoring in any way. As parents, we need to respect and honor them and execute our office before God as their parent. And so we act out of care and love as God's representative. We view them, we should view our children, really, they're, they're created in the image of God. We're to respect them, we're to honor them as, as people, and yet know that we're in authority. You can easily be in authority and still show respect. I've used this analogy before. But we've all, probably, we've all probably encountered a situation with authority, perhaps a, police, a policeman who comes to our vehicle and they treat us with respect. Good day, sir. And they honor us the way they talk to us, the way they approach us. And we, and we in, in turn, we, we feel a sense of honoring them and respecting them. And we know they have complete authority. They don't have to puff their chest and demand their authority, but they, they exercise their authority. They sweetly and nicely and respectfully and honorably write us a ticket. $250. Thank you, sir. We receive it. Man, that was a pleasant officer. On the other hand, you probably had that macho machismo who thought he was something else walk up to the side of your car. Who do you think you are? Give me your license. And just everything about him, the tone, his demeanor, his attitude. Now, you're tempted to take your license and throw it out the window, aren't you? You're thinking, who is this guy? Because he's now taken his office and he's distorted it. He's perverted it. And now you know he's disrespecting you. He's dishonoring you. So positions of authority are given by God, but they never, ever allow us to be dishonor, disrespectful or dishonor people. But we often have a hard time with this. Because even as parents, when we deliver, we're the ones who are called to deliver discipline. So we spank, and, and we bring pain into their lives. We deliver pain, but we have to do it in a respectful and honoring way. It doesn't allow you to do it in a disrespectful and dishonoring way. First Peter 5 says, he says, Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. So if you're in a position of authority, you need to understand that this does not suddenly allow you to disregard Philippians 2, 3, and 4. All bets are off. No longer do I esteem others. No longer do I see them as my, uh, not only just my equal. He says, esteem, esteem them higher than yourself and say, okay, now I'm in a position of authority. I no longer need to do that. No, I'm afraid it doesn't work like that. You can esteem others higher than yourselves and still be in the position of authority and execute your office with love, with respect, with honor. That's what we're called to. There's another important component to us considering this passage and the fact that we have to consider others as better than ourselves. And it has to do with how we treat them, those people who have weaknesses we don't have. 
And in this regard, hear this. Strength should never disdain weakness. If you're strong, you should never disdain the weak. Yet that's what we do. That's what we our hearts love to do. It's not, it isn't too difficult for us to look to t- down upon others as we see their weaknesses that they don't have. Just let's get back to the analogy. The hammer. This hammer could easily look down and disdain the rose. Right? What is this? This is weakness. I, if I shook this too hard, the head would fall right off of it. And the stem would probably break. It's weak. It's frail. And when you've got the strength... It's like this thing, I could just smash that thing. It's so easy. It's pathetic, right? The strength often looks down upon weakness because it just it couldn't stand up to it. And whenever, whenever we're given a strength, whenever we have a strength, it's very easy for us to disdain or to look down upon a weakness of somebody. Especially when they don't have the features or the strengths that we have. You know, the hammer thinks to himself, man, My strengths are so amazing and essential to life. How could those weak roses be of much value? How could they... They can't even so much as stand a hot day without wilting. They're just so weak. You know, just think of the gifts you might have. All of us have a particular gift, and we view our lives a lot of times through our, our gift, through our strength. I often have looked at my own life and been ashamed so often as I look at, through the past and look at how I have looked at other people through my strength. You know, God has given me, and my, one of those particular gifts he's given me is, is hand-eye coordination. And so what happens as a result is I pick up sports rather quick, and I pick up activities that involve coordination rather quick. And then it's easy for me to look at someone else who's, who's struggling along. What's your problem? It's like, what, why, are you having, why are you having such a hard time with this? It's pretty simple. Look, it's like even if you are hammered, like here's a hammer, this is how you use it. Here's the nail, here's the board. The objective is you hit the nail, not the board. And why is it you've hit the board 80 times and, and, and the nail's still sitting there pristine? I don't understand this. You've demolished the board and you haven't hit the nail. I'm frustrated. I don't get that. I don't understand. Watch. This is how it works. And you hit the nail. Simple. Okay? Duh. Do it. It's easy. And so what? It, and then you can start to think, if, if, if you run into people who are having struggles in an area where you have a strength, you look upon them with disdain. Like somehow they're, you know, geez, when God was handing up the, the gifts, you really got missed, didn't you? Because... We, we even fail to understand they have wonderful and beautiful strengths, but it isn't our tendency. It isn't in their flesh to look upon people and try to find their strengths. You know, they're, they're probably, they can't swing the hammer real well, but I bet they can do something else. I'm not sure what it is. Not seeing it, but surely they could do something, right? So over time, you begin to look at people, and, you, and if you learn enough about life, and if you walk enough and live enough, all of a sudden, God shows you what an idiot you are. And he shows you how you've constantly viewed the world through your strengths. And you've gotten down and you look down upon people with weaknesses. 
But then to put you in many situations, life has a way of doing this, where you're exposed and your weaknesses get shown. And you're made a fool. And you're made an idiot. And now you think, I can't believe it. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes along and they've got this wonderful gift. And they're just shining beside you. And you, you struggle even to do the basics that they're doing. And you're humiliated. You're brought low. You're humbled. And in that situation, God is graciously, graciously helping us to see that we, we have many weaknesses of our, owns and not, and of our own. And not only that, if we do have a strength, it isn't because it's an innate quality that somehow I created my gift ex nihilo. I decided I would like to have this gift and quality, and therefore I have it. It's so easy for us to begin to think that we are, we're self-made people. I am who I am because I have worked hard and I've done everything I have done and I've gotten everything I've gotten and it's because of what I've done. But it's a bunch of baloney, isn't it? It's bogus. It's bogus. Because it, no matter what you've been given, guess what? It's been given. No matter what you have, no matter how great you are, it was a gift from God. God decided to give it to you. And no matter what you see in someone else and how weak they seem and how much they seem to lack, they have something you don't have. I'll guarantee it. They've got a wonderful gift that if they're allowed to shine, they would make you look like a fool in the right situation. God has given everybody something. Something. But it never allows us, no matter what we've been given, even if you've got a truckload of gifts, you look around, it's like, well, it looks like, you know, I, I kind of landed straight, straight center in the gift truck. I mean, it was just, it was abundant when God laid those gifts out. Like, I don't care how many gifts you have, they're all given to you and because of nothing you did. And it for, uh, for, not for a moment does it allow you to look upon somebody else who's weak with disdain. And the hardest part about us applying what it says here in Philippians is that it's really easy for us to apply the passage towards people who we respect, who we honor, who we esteem, who perhaps we look at others and say, wow, look at what they've got going on. The gifts they have. The talents they have. Look at, look at the possessions they have. The power they have. Look at the honor they have. Look at the... Look at the Look at the house they have. Look at the car they have. Look at everything they have. And somehow say, woo! Yes, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You know, woo. Honor, esteem them. Is that what the passage says? No, Paul is telling us it doesn't matter. We, in humility, you consider others. And it doesn't matter their station. It doesn't matter their weaknesses. Better than yourself. Oh, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. You know, the greatest example of this, as beautiful as Jesus. Because when Jesus looked upon the people of Jerusalem, in, in Luke chapter 13, 34, he said this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who sent her, sent her, sent to her. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. 
Well, here are the people who hated him and would eventually falsely accuse him, ridicule him, beat him, whip him, profane him, and crucify him ultimately. And yet, how did Jesus look upon them? With compassion. With compassion. Here's the Son of the living God, the eternal Son of God. If anybody has a right to look down upon people, it'd be him. Infinite amount of power, glory, majesty. And yet he came in the form of a humble servant, and he looks upon these people who will treat him this way, and how does he look upon them? With compassion and with a longing for them. Now, how, how do you, how do we view and look upon the people in this room? How do you look upon your enemies? How do you look upon those who have weaknesses, stark weaknesses compared to you? Ask yourself this question. This is a very good question. Is there a single person I do not esteem or respect just simply for being a person. Now, this, this might be, uh, this is something that's hard for us because often we do not esteem and we do not respect anybody who's a loser, uh, a wicked sinner, right? We, we, somebody who's in our eyes, here's the standard of what righteousness is, they fall down here, and we do not esteem them or respect them we actually find it a virtue to dismantle them. We find it a virtue to dishonor them or disrespect them. Can you think of people in your life? I sure hope you can. There's people in our lives, there's, there's people that we don't even know per- personally, but we know of them. How about some politicians? And we think immediately because they're their conduct is not respectful, that that gives us the right for us to treat them with disrespect. I'm here to say it's not. It does not give you the right. It gives you the right to speak. You can speak the truth, but how should we speak it according to Paul? Speak it in love. Can we have compassion? Can we have grace? Can we look upon these people and speak of them in ways that does not destroy them and somehow elevate ourselves as if, but by the grace of God, that's what we would be? Do you realize this is what it takes? It takes us seeing ourselves rightly and us seeing them rightly. Because here, seeing ourselves rightly, you know your own heart, right? Do you know how dark it can be at times? Do you know how selfish you can be at times? Do you know how uh, unlovely you could be at times? Of course you do. And anytime you take God's perfect, holy standard, that mirror, and you show it up against yourself, and in truth you see that, guess what that does to you? It humbles you. You you don't like to look. It's shameful. You see yourself for who you really are. And then because you know your heart and the way God has designed it, I don't know your hearts. I can't see any heart here this morning. But you know your heart, right? Right? So God has kind of given an advantage, in a sense, because I know my heart, and I'm not pleased. But I don't know yours, and what I see, I'm pleased with. So he designs it so that I can look upon you and esteem you and think, man, these people, I have nothing but high esteem and regard for them. Boy, 
I'm so glad they can't see the dark corners of my heart. That's somebody who's seeing themselves rightly before God and seeing others rightly because they don't see their hearts. And realizing that we, if we see ourselves rightly, we see God rightly, and we see others rightly, we esteem them because everything's back in perspective. The moment we do not see others rightly, the moment we don't esteem others, we don't, don't hold them up and value them, is the moment we see ourselves as too high, God too low, and them too low. We got the whole thing messed up. And so this is the only way we're ever going to look upon weakness. People different than us, and that's what a church is filled with, and esteem others is when the gospel's penetrated our hearts and we truly see who God is, who we are, and who each other is in Christ. And once once you get proper perspective, it's the only way that you can see others and have grace and esteem them like we're called to esteem them. I just want to quickly finish with something else in this regard about what this means. It says that we are not to, um, in another passage, not here, but I think the implication of what it's saying is that we should not judge one another. We're not to judge our brothers and our sisters. Now, how many of you have ever been really confused by the statement? We're not to judge each other. Matthew 7 talks about do not judge each other lest you be judged. Not, isn't that people love to say that? Don't judge lest you be judged. Romans chapter 14, 13 says this. Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So the question is, what does it mean to not judge one another? In the Roman situation, what was happening there in chapter 14, is, and they were seeing, for example, a brother eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. And they were concluding in their mind, oh, look, there's an idol worshiper who's turned from God. So they were judging them and declaring a sentence upon them. They weren't reaching out to them in love and discussing with them or confronting them in any way. Because one thing we have to discern and have to realize is that we have to assume the best in each other. You might see other people do things that you disagree with or you question. They might be questionable things. And you don't conclude from that, draw a hard, fast conclusion, the state of their soul or where they're at. What you might do from that is actually we're very encouraged to speak to one another, to talk to one another about issues, to find out where other people are coming from, to listen to one another. To, and in some cases, we're encouraged to admonish one another. We're encouraged to rebuke one another. But it's, it's, it's a different posture completely. When we're, called, we're told not to judge one another, clearly it has nothing to do about speaking the truth in love to one another, nor does it have anything to do with confronting somebody who might be in sin. If that were the case, Jesus and Paul would be in sin. And so would the rest of the apostles. Jesus himself in Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, you've gained your brother. If he doesn't repent, then take someone with you on and on and keep doing this until you either won your brother or it gets to the point where your brother is put out. Now, clearly, when Jesus said, do not judge, lest you be judged, and he says, says Matthew 18, rebuke your brother if they sins or confront your brother when they sin, how do these two jive? Well, because... Going after somebody in love and seeking to rescue them 
seeking to draw them back to Christ, seeking to bring restoration of fellowship and unity and peace, is not judging them at all, but making declarative statements about them is. So we're not to judge, we're not to look, you don't look around this room ever. You don't look at somebody and because they make certain decisions about whether it be, you know, parenting or whether it be, you know, somebody raising their hands in service and somebody's not and some people are doing, you see different things in different areas. Or someone makes some statement or, you know, ooh, that's a strange one. They talk about something politically and you're thinking, oh, wow, that's different. That's weird. And then all of a sudden, you think in your mind, you begin to think less of them. You judge them that they might be in a certain place spiritually, and you pull away from them. That's wrong. It's wrong to come to draw those conclusions in your mind and think you're the be-all. You know what's going on in them, in their situation. If there is any trouble or difficulty, we're exhorted, we're encouraged to actually go to them. Talk to them. Have a discussion about it. Find out what's really going on. And maybe learn to live with some differences. Maybe learn to live with some things that you don't completely agree with. And it'd be okay. We don't have to have, we know everybody doesn't, isn't a hammer, right? And what, what do we have? Churches full of hammers. Churches full of roses. No, we got the hammer denomination and the rose denomination. It's typically what we do. We move away from those people who are different. We move toward those people who are just like us. Because we have a hard time with this, a very hard time. This, this confronts us deep, right in the center of who we are. We have a difficult time esteeming one another and not judging one another and not disdaining others. It's hard for us. Our hearts are constantly, what we have a tendency to do, is like those who are like us. Disdain those who are not like us. Join together with those who are more hammer-like. Because I'm more hammer-like. Join together with those who are more rose-like, because they're more rose-like, and I like that, and I don't like those other those hard, stinky people. I don't, we don't like that. So we naturally can create disdain. This is, when we're called to do this, just think of this for a moment, and think of all the little categories in life. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's a tall order, isn't it? That's a tall order. And I'll guarantee you there's not a person in this room who can do that unless they've been confronted by the gospel in their own lives. They've come to the place where they see themselves before this holy God and he's, he's unbelievably awesome. He's great. He's mighty. He's holy. He's, a, he's unbelievable. And I look at him and I look at me and, and I see my heart and I see what I'm like. and It's not good, folks. It's not good. And I cry out to him. He shows me mercy and grace. And from that perspective, I look around and I can see you. As a, oh, you know, I, I see someone struggling or I see someone having a difficult time or I see, I see, I see weakness or I see, I see people who are just, you know, perhaps uh, socially just down there, not making good decisions and stuff like that. And I can, you, you can easily come alongside them. Say, oh, man, you can esteem them because you... You know, I don't have anything, anything in my life that God has not given me. And it's so true. Except for the grace of God, I would be the worst of them. Go watch a documentary of the worst criminal ever and look at yourself if God was not gracious to you. That's what it is. Watch your, this is your story. 
Watch it. My story apart from the grace of God. Why were you not born in the slums of Brazil? Because you're so special? Uh Uh-uh. The grace of God. There's nothing else. You have nothing that hasn't been given to you. Nothing. Zilcho. Who gives you strength? Who gives you your health? Who puts you in the infrastructure of America and a society where you can actually work hard and make a living? Who? God. You didn't decide. It's all grace. And so we lose perspective and we lose and we forget and understand who we are, where we've been placed, what we've been given, and it's all grace. And from that position, then we start, we, once we lose that perspective and we start to somehow think that we're just, we're pretty gifted, we're pretty skilled, we've got a lot going on, I've worked really hard, I've got this, I have that, we start to lower our view of other people. We have forgotten the gospel, we've forgotten who God is, we've forgotten who we are, and we have no ability to love others. People will only start to do this when you get a really clear perspective of who you are in the light of who God is and what he's done for you in Christ. And that gets you and starts to humble you. And you really, you don't just say, yeah, it's all by grace, but by the grace of God, so go I. You know, yeah, I've really been given a lot, really been blessed a lot. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that deep down and you don't find yourself looking at your your who you are clearly before God and being humbled by it, you will not be able to, in truth, esteem one another. Think highly of one another. So central to us doing this is us getting the gospel on a daily basis. Because folks, believe me, would you agree that it doesn't take long for you to begin to esteem yourself a little too much and begin to esteem others a little too little. This starts to shift. So by the grace of God, may we all see ourselves rightly before God and think highly of one another. Amen. Father, We're so thankful and grateful that you you continue to work on us. You continue to reveal to us who we are, who you are, and what you've done for us in Christ. And I beg of you, Father, help us to see ourselves, that we'd be humble and in all humility consider others better than ourselves, that we would look around this room and look around this world and we would truly feel in our souls and look at every single creature and, and esteem them, knowing that we have nothing that you haven't given us and everything we have is a gift from you. We've been given grace upon grace, and if there's any virtue if there's any strength, if there's any ability, if there's anything we have, O Lord, it's been given to us by you. Please help us to see that, acknowledge that, believe that, and live that as as a congregation that we would truly esteem one another. Amen.